Well, good morning to each one and greetings in Jesus' name. Good to see each one of you here this morning. We also welcome the folks who are calling in. We're glad that you're um, part of our service too, even though you may not be here with us. We wish you God's blessing as well. I appreciated the service so far. You know, it took COVID to uh, get these young guys up and have devotions on Sunday morning. And that's been blessing me. Um, and so I, I think that's a blessing that's coming out of all this is these young guys coming up and sharing the word. And that's blessing my heart. So thank you, young guys, for being willing to do that. Some time ago, I was intrigued by a sermon titled, The Hounds of Heaven. The Hounds of Heaven. This title caught my attention because as many of you know, I love a hound, especially the beagle hound. Now, I'm not into beagles and rabbit hunting like I was years ago. But even today, I have a special place in my heart for the beagle hound. As a young teenage boy, I wanted coon hounds. In fact, there was a man who had a female blue tick hound that he offered to give me for free. This pup was started, which meant she had some experience hunting with other trained dogs, trailing and trained raccoons. As good as this offer was, there was a problem. The problem was my parents. My parents were dead set against the idea of me owning a coon hound, especially my mom. She wanted no parts of her son out after dark chasing coon hounds. I remember sitting down at my dad's computer, which had a monitor about two foot wide two foot tall and two foot deep. It had that black screen with the neon green letters, cutting edge technology. I remember sitting down at that computer and writing up a contract between myself and my parents. And I don't remember what all I put into the contract, but I do know Daniel Lee Martin was taking full responsibility of the ownership of a blue tick coon hound. My parents did not sign the contract. <laughs> parents were tough like that back in those days. When they said no, they meant no. However, my parents, However, my parents did eventually compromise. And instead of allowing me to get that blue tick coon hound, allowed me to purchase two beagle puppies. Rabbit hounds, a sport I could pursue in the daylight instead of the dark. And so my very first beagle 
was a female. I named her Trigger. Trigger turned out to be an excellent jump dog. Probably the best hunting beagle I ever owned. If there was a rabbit in the briar patch, Trigger was going to find it. My second beagle was a male I named Bullet. Bullet was a good tracking dog, and that's about it. It didn't hurt his feelings at all that Trigger was a good jump dog. He would happily stand there by the briar patch and wait for Trigger to jump the rabbit. And then off he would go. He was extremely good on the track. And so the two dogs, Trigger and Bullet, made a good pair. And so I have many good memories of hunting with those two dogs. I'm thankful, too, that my parents were willing to compromise and allow me to get those first two beagles. And so maybe now you can see, when I saw the title, The Hounds of Heaven, I was intrigued. Does it make sense? Let me introduce you to the Hounds of Heaven. First, let me tell you their names. Their names are goodness and mercy. And let me say right here, these two hounds are not literal hounds, but figurative. We find these two hounds in one of the most familiar passages of scripture, Psalm 23. And I invite you to turn there. Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The hounds of heaven, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David uses the word surely. It is without question. Surely. It is without doubt. It is without fail. It is for sure that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. These two hounds are not just happily following us like a pet dog would do on a Sunday afternoon walk. These hounds are hunting dogs because the word follow, as we find it here in Psalm 23, verse 6, means to run after, chase, put to flight, hunt, pursue. Surely, goodness and mercy will pursue me, hunt me, chase me, put me to flight all the days of my life. For what purpose? For what purpose are you and I being hunted and pursued by the hounds of heaven? Is it for prosperity on this earth? Is it for earthly wealth? For earthly health? 
for a thriving family that is all healthy and serving the Lord, for boundless happiness. The end of Psalm 23, verse 6, has the answer. Let's read the complete verse. Surely, without fail, goodness and mercy shall follow me, pursue me, all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The last line of verse 6 reminds us of heaven. Now in the context here, the sheep here is apparently returning to the shepherd's house. In David's mind, this is speaking of his ability to be in God's temple in Jerusalem. And yet I think we can't miss the fact that we who trust in Christ are guaranteed to be with our good shepherd forever. And so the purpose of the chase, the purpose of goodness and mercy pursuing us is for the goal of securing our eternal life in the presence of Jehovah God forever. When we hunters hunt with hounds, be it rabbit hounds, coon hounds, deer hounds, bear hounds, the goal of the hunt generally is to kill the game that is being pursued. However, the hounds of heaven, mercy and goodness, pursue us, not to destroy or to kill, but to bring us safely into the eternal presence of God. In some ways, these hounds are more like shepherd dogs, the border collie, or the blue healer that works alongside the cowboy, helping to drive the cattle to a certain destination. Let's read the complete psalm at this time. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm I'm beginning to see is more than just a psalm of comfort. It is also a psalm of confidence. It's a psalm of faith and trust. When I can say from the bottom of my heart, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. I shall not want. That brings not only comfort, but confidence to the soul. I know my shepherd will supply my needs physically and spiritually. Like Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. Like Abraham said, I know that God will provide a lamb. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
we know God can deliver us. Like Paul said, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him against that day. Like John wrote, I am writing these things so that you can know you have eternal life. I can trust my Lord, my shepherd, and put my faith in him because I know he will provide. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because my shepherd will be with me. His rod and staff will be there to comfort me. You know, our lives are like a story. Every day is like a chapter in our life book. And every year is like we complete another book and we put it on the shelf. Some here today have quite an impressive collection of books. Others may be just getting started and only have a few. But the truth is we are writing a life story. If I was to ask you today, write down three things that makes for a good story, or write three things that makes for a good book, what would make your list? What would be the three things that you believe makes for a good story? Now, one of the things on my list would be American history. I would say a good story will be wrapped around a historical event that happened here in America. To me, that makes a good story. However, American history may not even make the bottom of your list. And so th those lists would vary. They would be different. But I believe there is one thing we would mostly agree that makes for a good story, and that is a good ending. I think we would mostly agree on that. Not necessarily a happy ever after ending, but a good positive ending. Especially for the main character of the story. Others in the story may die from starvation. They may get slaughtered on the battlefield. They may die from horrible diseases and sicknesses. But yet, at the end of the story, the main character, who also goes through much tribulation, sorrow, and grief, comes through victorious in the last chapters of the book. You see, a good positive ending makes for a good story. I think we would mostly agree on that. In the Gospels, we read of the cost that comes with taking up the cross and following Jesus. The Gospels say, the cost will be such things as tribulation, persecution, temptation on this earth. However, we also read in the same scripture the promise to those that endure to the end. And that promise is life eternal. And so this morning we don't know how our life story will unfold. 
We don't know exactly how the chapters will read. But this we surely know, that goodness and mercy will pursue the child of God to the very last chapter of his life book. The last chapter of the Christian's life story is a guarantee. It is a guaranteed happy ever after ending. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, folks, the only guarantee we have in life is that very last chapter. We don't know what lies between that first and last book, but we are guaranteed how the last chapter will end as a Christian. I want to think now in a more practical way about this powerful promise of goodness and mercy pursuing us. I have six points I want to consider, but before I look at those six points, I want to say this. Today, we find ourselves living in a land where modern Christianity preaches and teaches a prosperity gospel. Not all to the same level, but if you listen to modern Christianity, it's generally there at some level. And so misinformed folks come to Christ expecting salvation along with the promised benefits of wealth, health, and boundless happiness. And like the seed that fell on the stony soil in the parable of the sower, endure only for a while. Because when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately stumble. These people become hurt and offended when the Christian life doesn't pan out like they were led to believe, and rightly so. Jesus said in John 16:33, in this world ye shall have tribulation. The apostles in the book of Acts, they preached that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, think not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Paul writes to Timothy. He writes, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. My point is simply this. It is not an easy road we are traveling to heaven. However, we have the promise, and it is without fail, 
that goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life through tribulation, through fiery trials, through persecution, through whatever may come in life. And so with that in mind, let us look now at these six points about this powerful promise of goodness and mercy pursuing us. I will not spend much time on each point. I think the points speak well for themselves. I do have some scripture for each point. So point number one, no matter how far from God you feel, No matter how far from God you feel, he is always pursuing you with goodness and mercy. To change your heart and strengthen your faith. As I thought about this point, I thought of the prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesian Christians in chapter three of Ephesians. The Ephesian Christians were struggling financially. They were being persecuted. They were in need of encouragement. Maybe God felt far away from them. But this is what he prayed. Ephesians 3.16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. That was Paul's prayer for those that were struggling. And so point number one, no matter how far God may feel, no matter how far from God you feel, he is always pursuing you with goodness and mercy to strengthen you for the journey, to fill your heart with his fullness, to fill your heart with, his, with all his fullness. Point number two, and this one may surprise you. Every interruption in life is God bringing you his goodness and mercy. Romans 8 verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. As I thought of this point, I thought of Joseph. We know the story of Joseph and we know how that ended up. There in uh, Genesis chapter 50, he's there revealing himself to his brothers, and he says this to them. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. 
And so point number two is submit your plans to God and ask him what he wants to do for you. You know, life is much easier when we learn to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Point number three, another one that may surprise you, every trial is a gift of God's goodness and mercy. How can this be true when trials are so painful? I will read James 1, 2, 3, and 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, when we have the all joy attitude about trials, you will either see his mercy delivering you from the trial or satisfying and comforting you in the trial. And so point number three, yes, trials are painful. We don't ask for them. However, the blessing that comes along after the pain of the trial is gone is truly a gift of God's goodness and mercy. Number four, in every hard task, God is pursuing you with his goodness and mercy. Second Corinthians nine, verse eight. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. And so point number four is simply, when God calls you to a task, his grace will be there. His sufficiency will be there to help you and guide you and satisfy you and even surprise you. The Bible says, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Point number five. Whenever you sin, God is pursuing you with goodness and mercy to forgive you, cleanse you, and restore you. Romans 2 verse 4 says, It is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Second Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. First John 1 verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Proverbs 28 13 says, he who covers his sin 
will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes, forsakes them will have mercy. We're talking about mercy and goodness, and it, those two words came out in two of these four scriptures that we just read. And so point number five, confess your sin. Repent before God. Receive all that he has for you. Receive that goodness. Receive that mercy. And then walk in the light as he is in the light. Point number six. This is my last and final point. Whenever you feel inadequate, God is pursuing you with goodness and mercy to give you everything you need to do all he calls you to do. Philippians 4.19 And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And so point number six just like the rabbit being pursued by the beagle hound, point number six brings us back full circle to Psalm 23. So let us close with those words. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Today, the gates of heaven have been opened. The hounds, goodness, and mercy have been released. May their pursuit of us direct us safely into the eternal presence of our Lord and Savior. We'll call for a closing song.